Hey, this is Burke, and I swear sometimes, so listener discretion is advised. After defeating the greater elemental lord, you step through a doorway. It is endless caverns that don't open up into any sky. Large cavernous areas where the purple crystals line the ceiling. You travel for hours, but the tunnels never stop. They open up into large cavernous areas filled with crystals, but they never open up to the sky. The wizard isn't sure where you are, but they know for a fact this isn't the material plane. The cleric notices violet crystals on the ceiling of the cavern move from time to time. Eventually, the cavern opens up into a large crystalline area. The violet crystals pulsate in a rhythmic pattern. The rogue quickly notices that some of the crystals are floating and detached from the wall itself, and they go to claim some of the crystals for their loot. By the time the party notices the tail move, it's too late, and the amethyst dragon has them in its hold. Hey everybody, I decided to open this a little bit different because, well, gem dragons are a little bit different. And I probably could have covered them in the last episode, but it's been a minute since they had been updated. I believe the last time we saw them was in third or fourth edition. So it was nice to kind of get the updated rule sets and things so I could actually talk about them. And to start with the differences, let's start with their ruler. Much like how Bahamut and Tiamat are different from the other metallic and chromatic dragons, Sardior is different from the gem dragons. He is a ruby dragon and is the only one of his kind. He often gets mistaken for a red dragon because of the shade of his scales. This honestly goes for a lot of the different kinds of gem dragons. For the vast majority of them, they will get confused with their chromatic counterparts. You have the emerald, you have the sapphire, even the topaz can be mistaken for another type of dragon. You have the crystal dragon, you have the obsidian dragon, and the only real one that doesn't get really confused with other ones is the amethyst dragon. And you might ask, Burke, why aren't these things more abundant? If they stand out this much, you would think people would see them more. And it's because they spend the majority of their life in the inner planes. There are exceptions, but for the most part, they do spend a lot of their time in the inner planes. And if you're fairly new to tabletop role-playing games or D&D, you might be asking, well, what's the inner planes? So there's actually six inner planes, a plane of air, earth, fire, water, and then you have the positive energy plane and you have the negative energy plane. So that amethyst dragon that we kind of talked about in the intro for this episode, generally they live in the elemental plane of earth and they are the strongest of the gem dragon types. So gem dragons come in emerald, sapphire, topaz, crystal, and obsidian. They actually have six types where the other dragons usually only have five. However, Sardior's court only has five of them. The obsidian dragon doesn't actually have a representative in the gem dragon court. It was killed off by Sardior. Now you can see where I'm saying where they can easily get mistaken for the different types of dragons, especially, you know, Sapphire being blue. And given that they like to live in the Underdark, it's not hard for somebody to mistake that for a blue dragon, especially if they doesn't have a natural light source. Where the gem dragons really stand out from their counterparts are they're very quirky. For instance, the Sapphire dragons like to talk about militaristic tactics and they might befriend your party. Let's say they come to your group as a disguise like of a drow. So this 
Drow goes up to your fighter and starts asking a bunch of questions. Hey, what kind of sword do you use? What kind of armor do you like? What do you do in this situation? What do you eat to maintain your muscle mass? Things like that. They're going to grill you on just little different matters. Let's put it this way. If you bring a game of Risk to a Sapphire Dragon's Lair, you're going to be its best friend forever. Now, the main difference between Gem Dragons and the Chromatics and Metallics are that they tend to have floating crystals around them. This is because they all have psionic spellcasting. If you're fairly new to tabletop role-playing games or D&D, psionics just means that they have psychic abilities, that everything they use is mental. And like their other counterparts, their breath weapons range in wild varieties. I'll list them off here. The Amethyst Dragon has a force breath weapon. The Crystal Dragon has a light-based or radiant breath weapon. The Emerald Dragon has a psychic-based breath weapon. The Sapphire Dragon has a sound-based breath weapon that deals thunder damage. The Topaz Dragon has a necrotic-based breath weapon. And interestingly enough, in Fizban's Treasury of Dragons, the Obsidian Dragon is actually not included. They're actually not even included in the Gem Dragonborn section either. So for this, I'm actually going to do a little bit of digging to see if I can find you some information on the Obsidian Dragons. After a little bit of digging, I found some people made a D&D Beyond version of the Obsidian Dragon. It uses a fire-based breath weapon, which makes, a, makes sense because it's made of molten rock essentially but it's a little weird that wizards of the coast didn't even put it into the book i don't know if they're intentionally trying to write them out of the monster manual entirely or the storyline in general but the last time they're actually mentioned is in 3.5 this comes straight from the wikipedia now keep in mind a lot of this is outdated information and we'll see if they get updated on a future date obsidian dragons were the most intelligent of the gem dragons but also the most dangerous they had smooth black glass-like scales that had razor edges and could breathe a cone of fire. They preferred to lair near volcanoes and were notable for their psionic abilities. For this, I'm actually going to go into their history a little bit. Some obsidian dragons, like all gem dragons, once lived in the ruby palace of their deity Sardior. But at some point, their leader, the Thane of Sardanus, was killed by the master of the gem dragons for reasons unknown, and all obsidian dragons were expelled from his court. Their evil nature, exceptional among the gem dragons, was often connected to his fall from grace. The obsidian dragons were avoided and opposed by the other gem dragon species since that time. You would think with them having this kind of history already baked into the storyline that they would at least have included them into Fizban's or even in the different monster manuals in general. But for some reason, they are avoiding the obsidian dragons. Maybe because they line up too much with their chromatic counterparts. As a storyteller, it's not terribly hard to write in how the obsidian dragon is trying to get back in the good graces of the ruby court and maybe overthrow it for the harm it's done to its people. I mean, that's a pretty easy storyline to write. Maybe if we're lucky, Wizards of the Coast will make an adventure or something with it. Or you can make your own because world building is one of the best parts of being a dungeon master. The last thing I want to talk about is these things are a bit more powerful than the other dragon types. There's a good reason for that. 
with some exceptions, the most of their breath weapons and psionic abilities often aren't something that's saved very easily. Very rarely are you going to have a player be immune to thunder damage or force damage. There's a reason why like mind flayers are very scary against player characters because psychic damage is often unmitigatable. And frankly, the one dragon that uses psionic damage is going to melt your barbarian's brain. So because of this, their challenge ratings are actually a bit higher than their other counterparts. Yes, I understand that challenge rating is kind of a skewed thing, especially if you have more intelligence-based party. A more intelligence-based party might handle some of that psionic damage better than a lower intelligence-based party. So your mileage will vary. If you have a bunch of fighters, rogues, and barbarians, the psionic-based dragon is going to eat their lunch. So I'm actually going to take a look at what this thing looks like stat wise. I'm going to do my best not to take forever on this, but I will talk about their differences, though. Much like last time, I chose the adult stat block. For this one, I'm going to choose the adult Amethyst Dragon. It's the most likely you're going to actually see. Compared to the adult Red Dragon, who has a CR of 17, the adult Amethyst Dragon actually only has a CR of 16. All right, I'll go through this quickly. Adult Amethyst Dragon. Huge dragon, gem, typically neutral. His armor class is 19, hit points are 229 or 17 D12 plus 119. It has a speed of 40 feet, a flight speed of 80 feet, it can hover, and has a swim speed of 40 feet. It has a 25 in strength, 14 in dex, 25 in con, 20 in intelligence, 17 wisdom, and 21 charisma. Its skills, I'll skip a saving throws. Its skills are arcana plus 15, perception plus 13, persuasion plus 10, stealth plus 7. It's immune to being frightened and prone. It can speak common, draconic, and it has telepathy up to 120 feet. It's a challenge rating 16 worth 15,000 experience. Its proficiency bonus is a plus 5. It's amphibious. The dragon can hold can breathe in both water and air and has three legendary resistance a day. It has multi-attack. It can either make one bite attack or two claw attacks. I won't go over those. It has singularity breath. The dragon creates a shining beam of grav gravitational force in its mouth, then releases the energy in a 60-foot cone. Each creature in that area must make a DC 20 saving throw. On a failed save, the creature takes 45 or 10d8 force damage, and its speed becomes zero to the the start of the dragon's next turn. That's actually pretty scary. Also, the other part of this thing that's scary is its spellcasting ability. Spellcasting, psionics. Dragon casts one of the following spells, requiring no spell components and using an intelligence spellcasting ability. Spell DC 18. Once a day, blink, control water, dispel magic, protection from evil and good, sending. Bonus action, shape change. Dragon can magically transform into any creature that is a medium size or small. Retaining its game statistics other than its size, the transformation ends when the dragon is reduced to zero hit points or a bonus action to end it. Psychic step. The dragon magically teleports to an unoccupied space within it can see within 60 feet of it. That's actually really scary too because it can do that without provoking an attack of opportunity. Legendary actions. It can make one of its claw attacks. 
Psionics costs two actions. The dragon can use its psychic step or spell casting. So it can use one of its spells or the psychic step. Or it can expend three actions and use explode crystal. The dragon spits an amethyst that explodes at the point it can see within 60 feet of it. I hate that sentence. Why didn't it say amethyst crystal? Each creature within a 20 foot radius sphere centered on that point must succeed a DC 20 dexterity saving throw or take 13 or 3d8 force damage and be knocked prone. I honestly think this thing has been, it doesn't, it's CR is a lot lower than I would actually run it. I think that's because its health is a little bit lower than the other dragon, but this thing has a ton of knockdown abilities and it reduces your speed constantly and is able to maneuver the battlefield quite easily. I honestly think this thing is a lot more difficult than that thing actually says it is. Well, I'll end this episode with this thought. If you're running a planar adventure where you're going to different planes of existence, it makes sense to roll one of these things into your game. They'll make fun and quirky NPCs if the party actually decides to talk to them. Some of them are very solitary and it won't work very well, and some of them are very social, but they also make terrifying antagonists for a session or even having one of these things be a main antagonist for your game because they are neutral. One of these dragons might be pissed off that the, this city is making a ton of noise near its lair and it might just annihilate that place so it doesn't have to move. The ruler might be doing a celebration for a month. The party doesn't need to actually even know why the town was annihilated. All they have to know is, hey, there's that big bad dragon that killed my town. Let's go kill it. And that's your adventure. Personally, I love that the, the gem dragons came back. I think they make a great addition to the monsters we already have access to throughout all the books. However, I think it was a mistake leaving the obsidian dragons out. I feel like even though they have been expelled from the Ruby court, they actually have a place in the multiverse and they should be represented. Personally, I think I would run the obsidian dragons even though I don't have access to them in the books. It's not hard to homebrew them and frankly, I would probably take the amethyst stat block and I'd maybe buff it a little bit and that would be my obsidian dragon. I'd even tweak the numbers on the breath weapon to make it work. Well, this was a fun episode. I'm glad we actually got to talk about how the gem dragons are different. This episode wasn't nearly as long as the last episode, and I'm glad I waited until Fizzbands came out. Because if I went off and talked about obsidian dragons and they weren't actually even included in the book, I would have been upset. Or if they changed some of the stats or the abilities, which they kind of did on some of these. It was nice to kind of sit down and talk about the updated gem dragons. Our live game starts on November 20th, where I'm going to be playing a bard for that campaign. I won't spoil what kind of bard I'm playing. Let's just say it's a little out of the box. I'll have a link in the show description where you can find that game on November 20th. It's at 3 p.m. Pacific. So if you're around and have some time and want to sit down and watch a live play game, we're only playing for like three hours, I believe he said. So it won't be a terribly long time investment. All right. So what are we covering next episode? Next on the list of things to cover is actually our session zero. And it's exciting to actually sit down and talk about how you start your campaign and really sitting down with your players and talking about different rules and what's going to happen in your campaign is an important part of it. But we'll talk more about that next time. So in the next episode, we're going to be talking about is the session zero for your campaign. And sorry about sounding a little nasolated. I actually re-recorded this when my nasal spray had kicked in a bit more. I actually recorded it and I sounded like shit like the whole time through. So I hope you all enjoyed the episode regardless of my allergies going insane. We'll see with the move and see how that helps with the 
allergies. I'm actually going to a place that has winter, so I shouldn't have to deal with uh, pollen and allergies all year round. But if you enjoyed this episode, let me know on Twitter at DM Burkhart. You can also find me on my personal Twitter at Burkhart Gaming. As I'm moving, I'm not really streaming all that much, but you can find my Twitch at Burkhart. And lastly, if you'd like to support the show, if you could tell a friend about it, that'd be awesome. And I thank you all for listening and all the support I've been getting throughout this. And believe it or not, the feedback does help. If you haven't noticed like format changes throughout recording and things, a lot of this is from the feedback I've received. And I believe this show sounds much better than what it did when I first started. It's amazing how much you can learn just by doing. Hey, it's the same thing as dungeon mastering. Thank you all for listening and I'll catch you all later.